verses 1 through 19. And I just invite you to keep your Bibles or your Bible apps open because we're going to work through the, the text verse by verse this morning. If you're new to us today at HRBC, we've been in a series of messages this fall called At the Altar, and we're studying worship, and we're looking at different ways that altars were used throughout the Bible, in particular the Old Testament, because the Old Testament, as you know, influenced the way that we worship in the New Testament and helps us to see some of the things that even we do today, we've been doing since the ancient days. And we've acknowledged that worship is a whole lot more than a style of music or a time of day or a specific location. In fact, Jesus was very clear that worship was not a location. He told the woman at the well that we worship in spirit and in truth, which means that we worship with our heart and our attitude. And we also know that Jesus desires much more than our offerings. He, he says this to those who are criticizing him. On hearing this, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And then he quotes back from the Old Testament prophets. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus is most concerned about our hearts and about our attitudes and about our relationships. And he desires reconciliation among people as God is desiring to reconcile us to himself. Jesus is saying man-made altars are not nearly as important as people are. After all, we're worshiping in spirit and in truth, attitude and actions. We've also studied Noah, and we were reminded of how Noah, when he came out of the ark, the very first thing that he did was build an altar to God, and he made burnt offerings. Noah's worship moved the heart of God, and we desire to see God's heart moved as we worship in spirit and in truth. And then last Sunday, as we gathered, we studied Abraham and his call to ministry and how he left his home place to go to the land that God would show him. And there were four significant altars that Abraham made along the journey, and each of those altars had a significant place in his life, a remembering in his life, and we said that those are the essential spiritual markers in his journey with God, and today we have spiritual markers as well. Just like Miss Amanda shared earlier, a significant spiritual marker is when a child receives their Bible. Or when we are baptized, symbolizing our salvation. Or when we take other important walks of faith, going on our first mission trip. Other things are essential spiritual markers in our lives. We join today with Abraham yet again. And he's much older now. And we're seeing how God's promise is unfolding in his life. The son that was born to him and Sarah, Isaac, is now a young adult teenager or a young adult. And the family's living in the west part of the area of Canaan. It's Philistia. It's close to the Mediterranean. And God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. And we're going to see that Abraham was faithful to God. By looking at it from the outside in, you know, all of these things that happened to Abraham, a lot of good things. His son was born um, despite him being so old. And then when you look at this and what God asks him to do, you think you might be thinking, is Abraham living a bad country music song? I mean, is everything starting to go wrong? 
Today we're going to see as we study this text that Abraham, despite that what God asked him to do was perplexing, that he held to the vision of faith. And we will learn today that when our faith is tested, that we find a gracious God at the altar. Let's read Genesis 22, and I'll make comment along the way as we work through our text. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son. Does that remind you of something? Your only son, your one and only, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you your only son, one and only son, as the text will later tell us. Go to Moriah. It's a three-day journey from Philistia, about three days. This is the area where the modern-day Temple Mount exists. So I can only imagine what would have been going through Abraham's mind as he and his son and the servants walked through the dry land on the way to the mount, to the region of Moriah, the mount. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, does that remind you of something? On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So on the third day they arrived. And there's a hint of the outcome of the story that honestly I never paid much attention to until I started studying for today. And that's verse 5 where Abraham tells the servants, we will be back. We will worship and then we will come back to you. In, a, in some mysterious way, Abraham has already trusting the God who made a promise that he would be the father of many nations and that God is not a promise breaker. So we're going to do this even though I don't understand it, but we will be back. A resurrection of sorts. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son. Um, and you can just imagine this. You imagine the tone of his voice. Uh, Dad? Uh, there's wood. Um... There's fire, and you brought the knife. Where's the lamb? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went off together. This, this is the test. 
verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar. See, there it is. And he arranged the wood on it. So the other altars we've studied about Abraham were essential spiritual markers in his life as he journeyed, ended up going down to Egypt and came back and remembered the altar and and then continued. This altar is different. Abraham prepared to follow through with the command that God had given him. Again, we can only imagine what was going through his mind. But when God saw Abraham's faith and trust, an angel from heaven called out to him, Abraham, Abraham, stop! Leave the boy alone. And what happened next would go down in history so much so that the writer of Hebrews would consider consider Abraham one of the faithful members of that great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And the Greek translation of the Old Testament is your only begotten son. The same language we know about Jesus. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. God had sent a substitute and spared Isaac. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. This is where we learn the name of God, Jehovah Jireh. God provides. The Lord will provide. Verse 15 and following. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Through his test, Abraham held to a vision of faith. He did not waver. Preacher and writer Tom Long says this about Abraham. This test was not merely a measure of how tough Abraham was, it brought to the surface the basic framework through which Abraham viewed life. If he brought to this event only a human point of view, there was but one inevitable conclusion, death. The end, the irreparable unraveling of Abraham's hopes. 
But Abraham brought another framework, and I pray that God would help me to have this framework in my life, the framework of the vision of faith, that no matter what test comes my way, no matter what trial I may experience, or sin the devil may throw at me, that my vision, the framework of my vision is faith. Faith does not know how or when or where God will fulfill the promise, but faith does not waver from the confidence that God will do it. This is Abraham's framework, says Long. Faith does not let go of the assurance of things hoped for, as the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 11.1. You and I can learn from Abraham. In our passage, his faith is expressed in his iconic word to his son Isaac, God will provide the lamb, my son. It was as if Abraham had seen the death and resurrection of his son and God gave Isaac back as a response to his faith. This gives us a glimpse of the real thing. For God himself did provide the lamb and then brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. We can look at this story of Abraham and Isaac as a foreshadowing of the story of God sending His one and only Son and not withholding the Lamb who would be slain for our sins but would be resurrected and brought back. Jesus is alive. The writer of Hebrews sees how the framework of a vision of faith can encourage you and me when we face tests today. I don't know what your test is. God allows us to be tested in this life and they're all different. And I want to hold a framework of the vision of faith. A vision, if you're taking notes, a vision of faith does not let go of hope. In my short time here, just a year and a half as your pastor, I have seen some faithful people. I've seen people who have struggled through illnesses and cancer treatments and holding on to that vision of a faithful God. I've seen people go through other tests and I, I hope that I would hold that same vision and not let go of hope. Hebrews 11.1 1, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I'm walking blindly, holding to a vision of faith which is filled with hope. Second, a vision of faith can change our family tree. It happened with Abraham. Abraham received a vision for God's future. And this vision was passed along from generation to generation. Uh, in, in your family, you may have things that get passed down. And I'm not talking about genetics. I'm talking about behaviors. I'm talking about generational sin. Sometimes people say, my grandfather was an alcoholic. My, grand, my father was an alcoholic, and now I'm struggling too. And I do not want to pass this on to my children. I do not want my habits to be passed on to the next generation. I do not want them to struggle as I have. And we can say today, my family tree changes. And I believe that's what happened in Abraham's life. He left a legacy to his family, the next generation. Isaac, his son, though he could not see in his old age, Isaac held to his father's vision of God's future, and he blessed his sons, Jacob and Esau. 11.20 of Hebrews, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And Jacob, when he had grown old, he faced 
a loss of strength and his own life, yet he held to the vision of God's future and blessed his grandsons, the sons of Joseph. In verse 21, my faith, Abraham, when he was dying, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. He gave the blessing to the next generation. And then Joseph, his own impending death, gave him a vision of the promised land, and he made mention of the Exodus story of the Israelites and ordered that when the time arrived that his bones were to be carried into the land of promise, he did not waver. He held to that vision of faith. By faith, verse 22 of 11 in Hebrews, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. And third, a vision of faith holds on to the God who provides. The God who did not withhold His one and only Son. The Lord who provides Jehovah Jireh. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? While we were still yet sinners, Scripture says Christ died for us. And when tests do come, not if but when, let us hold to a vision of a faithful God who provides grace to us beyond all measure. There's a wonderful image of this in the film Les Mis. A priest had welcomed a, a man on the street into his home, and you'll see that the man is starving, and then later in the night stole some of the valuables. And let's see what happened that gives us an image of grace.